Well, tonight I thought I would share a text that is sometimes misunderstood. You probably remember Jesus mentioning that greater works shall you do. And when we see the amazing things that God did through Jesus on earth, it can make us wonder, what was he talking about? In uh, John 14 is the text, verses 12 through 14. It's kind of dark, isn't it? Can you see that? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, and who is that? That includes us, right? Us. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. So whatever Jesus did, he wants to tell us that we can do the same thing. And greater works than these shall he do. So first he says, we'll do what he did. And then it says, greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this is a promise that I don't think we really pay enough attention to. And as a result, we don't expect to receive this. And because we don't expect it, it doesn't happen. So we're going to take a look at that, especially the part, greater works than these shall he do. But there as we come toward the end, you suppose part of the problem is we don't ask for big things. And so because we didn't ask, we don't receive. And uh, the whole purpose of it all is for Jesus to be glorified, Father to be glorified. In fact, he goes, finishes by saying, if there's anything you ask in my name. Now, of course, we know there is a qualifying factor there. It has to be something that he wanted us to ask him for and something that we're going to use for his name's glory. Uh, not our glory, but for his glory. So there are some conditions. But if we're in the right path, he says, you can ask anything and you will have it in my name. So why not ask? <laughs> you know, maybe we need to get bolder in asking for things. James 4 verse 2 also has this phrase in it. Ye have not because ye ask not. So the problem starts with us. He gave the promise. And when we don't ask, then he doesn't give. Now it's amazing what he gives without even asking. You know, if we had an experience, yes. I think that asking 
is a byproduct of belief. That is. See, you would never ask me for a million dollars because I'm poor and I couldn't give it to you. Yeah. Because you wouldn't bother to ask me to begin with. But you would ask me to speak one day because you know I can deliver that. And I think we do God that way. Yes. There's some times we won't approach him to ask because we don't believe he's going to come through. <laughs> yes. And what I said that faith is belief and trust. Yes. And that's what we, that's what we need more of. Now, recently, I think I shared this with you, but uh, we had a reminder that God does wonderful things even when we don't pray, but how much more He would do if we did pray. Uh, we were looking for Bible workers, but we, uh, we had two given to us, I can't say free because we had to pay for them to have a car and for them to have a place to stay. But it was much cheaper than what we were prepared to pay because we were told that you, you have to pay $2,000 a month to get a Bible worker to, to come. And so we were prepared to do that. And we didn't pray for any... Uh, cheaper ones, but he gave us two anyway. Now, what we need to learn from that, though, is what would he have done if we had been asking? You know, I don't know what he would have done. He have not because he ask not. And in Desire of Ages 668, one of my favorite promises, he is well pleased when they make the very highest demands upon him. So when we just ask for a little bit, he's not happy. He wants us to ask for a lot. <laughs> that they may glorify his name. So there's that if again. It has to be not to make us look good, not to, you know, get a good reputation, but so that his name can be glorified. Then it says, they may expect large things if they have faith in his promises. Now again, uh, you know, I know from some experience, I'm not a super experienced evangelist, but I've watched uh, Steve Cook and I've watched some others that have done evangelism, and I've done a little bit myself in this country, not much. And so I didn't ask for a, a sizable harvest. I would have been happy if we'd gotten three or four. But the Lord gave us a total of 18, looks like. And uh, so, you know, they may expect large things if they have faith in His promises. And he is pleased when we make the very highest demands upon him. So the issue is, let's do it. Now here's one that helps explain that text a little bit from Signs of the Times of August 21, 1884. To pray in the name of Jesus is something more than a mere mention of that name at the beginning 
an ending of a prayer. It is to pray in the mind and spirit of Jesus while we work His works, believe His promises, and rely on His matchless grace. I didn't put this one in, but you've probably read there in Romans 8.26, where some people get it confused uh, that the Holy Spirit is up in heaven pleading. No, if you read the text carefully, you discover the Holy Spirit is pleading with us down here. We already have a mediator up in heaven, it's Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is pleading with us. So what I get from this is when it says it is to pray in the mind and spirit of Jesus, it means that when we're praying for what the Holy Spirit is pleading for us to pray, that's when we get this kind of results. Then it says, while we work His works, believe His promises and rely on His matchless grace. So it takes all of that. So the prayer starts being a response to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're asking for what the Holy Spirit wants us to ask for. And then we believe that it's going to happen. And we move forward in faith and He makes it a reality. Even the same kind of works that Jesus did. Now to uh, give evidence that this is true, what Jesus promised, we're going to do a short study in the book of Acts. One time when I was sick, uh, I don't know, maybe five years ago or so, I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time reading and thinking about the book of Acts. And so here in chapter 2, verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now we uh, are familiar with that story. It's used often enough that we're quite familiar with it. But <clears throat> can you imagine that one sermon and the result of that one sermon was 3,000 souls decided to get baptized. Now, it doesn't, all the credit doesn't go to that one sermon. But the one sermon under the power of the Holy Spirit led to the decisions that were made. Actually, it was harvesting from the ministry of Jesus. Now that he had died, was resurrected, and the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the disciples, that all was making things where this kind of thing could happen. And so 3,000 souls were baptized. But it doesn't stop there. It says in Acts 2, verse 47, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So the 3,000 3, started it off when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and then the Holy Spirit kept being poured out, and 
Now we see they had to have a baptism every day because people were wanting to get baptized. And so they were adding to the church daily. <clears throat> and in chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 4, it says, Many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about 5,000. I wonder if they'd counted all the women, how many it would have been. It certainly exceeded the day of Pentecost because now we have 5,000 people deciding to get baptized, plus the ladies. In Acts 5, verse 14, it says, And believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. Doesn't even tell us how many. This time, just says multitudes. So it's probably bigger than 5,000. Uh, and it just he just puts down there's multitudes of both men and women that are deciding to join the church of God. Now I realize uh, today there are no doubt many people that God can't bring in to the church because of what they would see and be exposed to if they came in. So I'm not saying that this kind of thing is going to happen tomorrow. But when we get ready, like the church got ready back then, we can expect this kind of thing to be happening again. God wants us to, uh, you know, believe even now in the work that He can do now and to expect even bigger things in the future. Acts 6, verse 7 says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now here's one of the most amazing ones. It's not because the number is so huge, but to have leaders, pastors, we'd say today, pastors and church administrators and people that, you know, rejected Jesus and they wouldn't accept the message that Jesus had to bring. Now, under the power of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the disciples, this is what happened. And as we think of it in light of the text, where Jesus said the same things I've done, you're going to do. In fact, you're going to do greater things than what I have done. And now we're seeing the fulfillment in the book of Acts. And from my study, I have many talks on the Holy Spirit, but from my study, I see that God has made it very plain that it wasn't His idea to turn off the power. The book of Acts is the way it's supposed to be all the time, ever since the book of Acts. That's the way it's supposed to be. But because God's people don't realize what their potential is 
and they're not willing to really get ready like the apostles got ready, then we do without it. And yet the day is coming when we are going to receive it. But first we have to get serious about the preparation. So a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now it wasn't just adding to the church that is a demonstration of Christ's power and the fact that the same power that was active for him was to be active for the disciples. Here's another aspect. Mark 12, verse 12 says, And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people. So they would have taken Jesus, they would have killed him, but they were afraid of the people. And so they left him alone. Here's Acts 4, 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. So they would have gotten rid of these disciples, but they were afraid of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. So there was, they were so uh, full of the Holy Spirit and they could accomplish such mighty things that the people were on their side and the leaders didn't dare to take them and put them, uh, get the, rid of them. Uh, here's another one, Acts 5, 26. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people. So this time they captured them, but they didn't want to hurt them in any way. And they, they took them very gently, lest they should have been stoned. So, you know, do you think that's going to happen to us in the last days? that God is going to work in such a mighty way that people are going to be afraid and they'll leave us alone uh, with what they'd like to do. Now, of course, that won't last forever. We know that the time comes when persecution is allowed. But I do believe, based on the promise of what we read, that we're going to experience that where people would like to get rid of us You've heard of uh, what happened with the Millerites and uh, some people came to disturb the meetings but the Holy Spirit was so present that they weren't able to disturb the meetings. And when William Miller left, there was one man that wanted to uh, get rid of him but instead he got so scared he fled. And so the, these stories happen all along as you study the history of God's uh, people that are, that are, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit. They have those kind of experiences. In Acts 2, 43, it says, Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So... It doesn't even describe all of them, what actually happened, but they're wonders. Uh, 
And they are signs showing that God was in this and that he accomplished this. He's the only one that could accomplish these things. In Acts 3, verses 2 through 8, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, then Peter said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know, I've wondered if, uh, if I came to church and I saw somebody there sitting on the steps and they were crippled, you know, would I believe that God would heal them? Now, of course... Peter had to hear the voice of the Spirit because if he said the wrong person would get healed and they didn't get healed, that wouldn't glorify God's name at all. But because he was in tune with the Holy Spirit, apparently the Holy Spirit said to him, Peter, tell him this. And it happened. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Wow. You know, wouldn't it have been wonderful to witness that scene and everybody knew this man because he'd been there a long time asking for money and and now he's healed that took the same exact power that Jesus used to heal people when he was on earth and he gave it to Peter to do exactly the same thing that he had done In Acts 5, verses 12 to 16, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. So if, if just the smallest portion of his shadow would go across them, this is what would happen. There came also a multitude out of the cities roundabout unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. So, maybe hundreds were lined on the street with all kinds of problems, including demon possession and all kinds of illnesses and terminal illnesses and everything. And just Peter's shadow went by them and they got well. Wow, what Jesus said was really true. To those that got ready and who believed the promise, they received the reward or the, the fulfillment of that promise. In Acts 6, verse 8, 
says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. So we might say, well, he promised that for the twelve apostles. But Stephen wasn't one of the twelve apostles. He was the one that believed through them, through the apostles. And notice that he had exactly the same experience that God was able to work through him uh, great power, great wonders and miracles among the people. That's the reason why they wanted to get rid of him so bad. <clears throat> Acts 8, verses 6 and 7. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So here we have another one, Philip. And uh, the people really listened to what Philip said because they saw that he did a lot of miracles. For, and here's some of them, for unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies and that were lame, were healed. Well, you know, I wonder if one of the biggest barriers that we have is that if God were to do those kind of things through us, we would become proud very fast. And we would start taking the credit for ourselves. But the disciples had been prepared for this, they had miserably failed over and over again. And especially they failed in fleeing from Jesus when he was going to be crucified. Yes? I was thinking that may have been part of the problem and reason for the apostles to adopt the Torah. Yes. Yeah. Because he really did do amazing things. Kellogg did. But he became lifted up. In fact, I read a statement that says, it was in my Deuteronomy, but it's been quite a while since we read it, that when God blesses a man, and it's speaking specifically of Kellogg, when God blesses a man, nine times out of ten, he loses his way. And so, you know, we don't want to have a big craving for miracle working power our craving needs to become humble enough and to get unified enough to where he can he can trust us with that kind of power without destroying us and but that I believe should be our desire you know because our time is coming when we need to be able to do the very things that we're reading about it was predicted by Jesus. It's going to happen for, for those that are ready. Uh, no doubt the 144,000 anyway. It's going to happen for them. And, and yet if there's no desire for not involved in the preparation, we won't get it because it would ruin us, even if he gave it yes. But we see a pattern here that everywhere the disciples went, preaching, healing, rewarding murders, we always come to the point where 
the high priest and the leader just rose up. That's a title. What is the anti-title for us today? Because is there something that's going to rise up? Is there something preventing the people who want to do? Well, I think there's two answers to that. Um, if we really were to be filled with the Holy Spirit and do amazing things, I think we'd have trouble from some fellow church members and possibly some leaders about that. And then, of course, we know in the end uh, we're going to have that trouble from all the other churches uh, because they don't like what's going on any more than what was going on in Jesus or the Apostles' time. But, you know, that we can't worry about that. We, we have to go ahead uh, and do the work that God has in mind regardless of who resists it or who uh, tries to cast discredit on it or try to end our ability to to do things because it's that's the reason I believe for the book of Acts is to show us that what Jesus said happened. On the following story just after the verse that you just quoted talking about Simon and his uh, his desire to have the power first he was baptized was part of the evangelistic team but apparently he wanted to have the power to go on beyond what he was experiencing and uh, Peter had to tell him your money perish with me because he wanted to find yeah can't, you can't get it that way Acts 5 verse 3 here's another one you know, how many mistakes get made because we didn't really find out from God what we were supposed to do? They didn't have that problem back then. Notice this. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Now, how did he know that Ananias was lying? Through the power of the Spirit, God revealed to him that he was lying. And to keep back part of the price of the land. And of course, you know the story. God worked to keep the church pure in a way that he doesn't work today to keep the church pure. But back then, when the Holy Spirit was really being poured out, you better not you know, do this kind of thing or you're not going to be around to, to be a part of the church. Here's a comment which is in... Uh, I, I don't have these books, but I find them on the CD-ROM. It's called Seven Red, page 21. The apostles were impressed by a sense of the true state of the case. So, you know, God didn't speak a voice to them. He didn't say to Peter, he's lying. 
But through the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit didn't even audibly speak, but it says by a sense of the true state of the case. Interesting. Here's another aspect of what God did for the early church. Acts 5, 17 to 20. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple. So, now, you know, God doesn't deliver everybody. Uh, he didn't deliver John the Baptist. So we can't say that even when we are receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and repeating the things that Jesus did, we can't say that in every case he will. But we can know that if it's best, he will. That we're not stuck in prison. We don't have to stay in there. If it's his will, he will get us out like he got Peter out. And part of it has to do with prayer. As I was reading about Paul, I discovered that if the brethren had prayed like they did for Peter, Paul would have gotten out of prison. But they didn't call a prayer meeting for Paul. Some of the leaders thought, well, you know, he's kind of a problem. Uh, he's, he's always talking against circumcision and things, and he stirs up people, and maybe it's the Lord's will that he's in prison. So they didn't have a prayer meeting. Well, I think we, some of us may experience that. Uh, there are times when God says, if you don't want that servant, okay, I'll let him be taken away. But when the church says, we got to have him, and they really get busy praying, God gives him back. Yes. Was uh, having this meeting Sabbath evening or until midnight, and then they sent him away. To, you know, to... Well, I'm sure Paul had followers that prayed for him, but uh, what I was referring to is leaders of the church. They were not praying for Paul to get out. And uh, Ellen White makes it plain that's the reason he was left a prisoner for most of the rest of his life. He did get free for a couple of years, and he, he was able to, to uh, kind of strengthen the work that he had done, but then they got him back again, accused him of burning Rome, <laughs> and took him back again. Yes. Is it possible that God sort of stopped them or didn't allow them to pray because he has other plans? I don't think so. And that, the way it's worded, it's it really shows a failure on their part, and it gives kind of the reason why they didn't pray. 
And it was because Paul was kind of a thorn in the flesh of the brethren. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. You know, we can say nothing is too hard for the Lord, right? Amen. So the doors were locked. They're barred. Uh, Peter is chained to the guard. And yet God got him out. Nobody knew it. And said, go stand and speak in the temple. Now, would you have done that? If you'd gone into prison because of preaching, would you go back and preach again? Well, that shows that they were willing to do God's will. We'll close with this thought from the book Education, page 256. And this is talking especially about the miraculous opening of the prison doors and other such miracles. In other words, this quotation has to do with those wonderful miracles in the book of Acts. It says, They were not written merely that we might read and wonder, but that the same faith which brought in God's servants of old, which wrought in God's servants of old, might work in us. Now, I think the book of Acts is read primarily from the standpoint of history. It's exciting history. Wow, look what God did in the early Christian church. Amazing stories. Sometimes we might even wish we could have lived back then so we could have been a part of all those things. But that's not the reason why the book of Acts is recorded. The book of Acts is there to tell us our potential, to tell us that we could be experiencing the same things today. If we met the same conditions that they met, we could be experiencing the same thing. And the two main aspects of it, there's, there's quite a few, but two main aspects are, if we can get humble enough, where we don't care who's the leader. We don't care who's in charge. That we just want what God wants and we, you know, are not craving anything that God doesn't want us to have. And, and we actually fulfill the text which says that we should think our brothers better than ourselves instead of thinking we're better. This is what happened to the disciples leading up to the time of Pentecost. And it carried forward, apparently, with their new converts because they had it. It tended to give it to the ones that they baptized and the ones that they worked with. This is needed. And the other that's needed is the gotten, well, in a sense, it's another dimension, I guess, of getting rid of self entirely and being only interested in God's work and in His glory and the finishing of His work. Notice the next part. In no less marked a manner than He wrought then will He work now wherever there are hearts of faith 
to be channels of his power. Now that one indicates we don't even have to wait till the whole church gets in this condition. We don't. Notice the wording. He uh, in no less marked a manner than he wrought then will he work now. And, and the condition is wherever there are hearts of faith to be channels of his power. Well, I think that I'm going to have to be changed. Because as I read these things, it looks wonderful. You know, I enjoy reading stories like this. And they're not just there, you know, we read books uh, every so often and we find miracles that happen in this place, that place. And so we, we have information that things are continuing. It's just not very regular. And there's not very many people that are experiencing these things. But God would like to have more and more people experiencing what Jesus promised. That when He would leave, what I did, you will do. And I guess I didn't have the one that explains the greater works in there. But the greater works simply means on a wider scale. It doesn't mean more fantastic things that we will do than what Jesus did. But there's more of us. And so what we, you know, his work was largely uh, in, in Galilee and some there in Jerusalem and in a few other areas. It, but his work was localized to a large degree. But with so many of us, it can be a worldwide thing. And so it's greater in that sense of wider than what Jesus did. And I hope... Well, the technology that's available to us today. Yeah, we have that benefit besides. <laughs> Although, it's the personal effort that's the most powerful. So, I hope you're challenged to start the program the disciples are on to get ready because Jesus could use you, every one of us here tonight, He could use us to do the same things that are there in the book of Acts. We're the problem. If he can't use us to do all those things, then we're the problem and we have to get ready so that we're not the problem. And we can't say when we're ready, you know. We have to leave that up to him, but our job is to be getting ready and expect that he wants to do mighty things.